What's new with you, Alex? Other What's than up, the, buddy? Uh, background. I, I drove to Virginia to spend time with uh, my niece and her dad. I sometimes call my brother. Um, you may hear her yelling downstairs, but yeah, that's why my backdrop is different. Well, that makes sense. I wasn't sure if that was just because you had moved over the last week, but that actually makes more sense. I did move again, so my backdrop when we do this uh, again will also be different. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Well, hey, did you um did you close your house that sale? Which oh the the shit flip? Yeah. Yeah, it's closed. I got the cash. I'm actually under contract on a duplex that I thought was at a steal price, but I'm probably going to break the contract here this week. Good. So, um, Good. You don't need to be buying any more lousy deals, okay? We need to tighten you up. <laughs> no, no, no. I got this thing's under contract for the same price I paid for my duplex in uh in 2015, but this one has garages and the interior is in much better shape than my duplex was. The problem is that the roof needs like is completely shot according to the inspection and the guy apparently knew about it and he's kind of like eh, i don't know if i want to so i'm going to try to try to convince him to that's the only thing really wrong with it so i'm going to try to convince him to uh, make an insurance claim because there's hail damage so if he makes the insurance claim and replaces it that way i'll go forward because i've got it i mean it's thirty thousand under under appraisal price uh but if he isn't willing to play ball on that then i'm going to walk and i'll just keep it in my cash reserves so this one's easy. Should be a turnkey. Nice. But a turnkey well, that I'm going to ha- own at like 50% LTV when I'm done with my down payment. So, Well, good. You're due for a good deal. So I'm happy to hear it. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So this guest today is a buddy of mine who lives local. He's in my mastermind group, actually. But uh, this is going to be an interesting one. I think you'll have fun with this. Uh, please don't have too much fun with this. <laughs> What's he do? So so he's, uh, he's a Marine. He's been deployed a few times. But he's... Uh, um, his his story is kind of weird because he was a well I'll let you tell all the de- him tell all the details but he lost four or five houses that he owned in the 2008 crash in Vegas because he owned them with a high salary and he joined the Marine Corps after he had said high salary and then uh when the market oh, couldn't tanked, make the overhead couldn't make the overhead when the market tanked but he's back at it just getting back into it so I think it'd be cool to talk through some of the like lessons learned and what got you past the fear of having lost everything but he also just recently uh came out of um, some, some health issues and, you know, whatever. So it's, it's going to be, I don't want to give everything away, but I think it'll be, there could be some interesting uh, insight into that. So, yeah. But uh, I don't know. I, I think I'll go ahead and grab him real quick. When's this, hey, real quick. When yeah. does this episode come out? Ish. As of right now, the last week of May, but I can, I can probably shift it around a little bit. So I have got some interesting news yesterday from Bigger Pockets. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am working on, and I know you, I've been talking about this with you for a while. I, I may or may not be getting commissioned to produce high quality HGTV style videos for them. Um, contract incoming. Hell yeah. I'm glad so to hear that that's, they liked the one with uh, your buddy, huh? With Nate. They really like that one. And I, I just scheduled, I got four more that I got to record next week. That's cool. Um, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that's why I asked late May. So by late May, this should all be either uh, official or burned to the ground. Hell so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll leave but, it for late May then. But look, um, uh, yeah, I mean, if anybody listens to this and they're in the North Carolina, South Carolina area and they want to be part of this, um, and they want their, their story showcased and they're part of VP. Um, you know, I'm looking for stories to tell. So if it goes well, if it goes well, this is going to be a continuing thing. I just want to point out that this is the same Alex who always chastises me for self-promoting things. 
So I don't chastise you for self-promoting. I, <laughs> I chastise you for everything else. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, I'm gonna hit pause. <laughs> You're listening to the Military Millionaire Podcast, a show about real estate investing for the working class. Stay tuned as we explore ways to help you improve your finances, build wealth through real estate, and become a person that is worth knowing. Hey guys, on this podcast, we talk a lot about the roadblock to success for military members in getting started in real estate investing. For many of us, the barriers of time, location, and not having the right knowledge keep us from building wealth while serving our country. Well, let me tell you about Storehouse 310 Ventures. They get it. Storehouse 310 Ventures is owned by two active duty naval officers that love to make investing fun, lucrative, and have a passion for education, theirs and yours alike. They offer full turnkey rental properties in a market where the numbers make sense, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Yes, Milwaukee, home to the almost 2018 division titled Milwaukee Brewers, the well-known Miller Brewing Company, and a lot of delicious cheese. Storehouse 310's properties are fully renovated, leased, and have property management in place. Through their rigorous analysis and selection process, they do everything possible to ensure each rental property meets their high standards and offers fantastic returns. Storehouse 310's allows you to invest with confidence while you are living out of state. They have a network of lenders, insurance companies, contractors, a title company, and much more to serve you all along the way. There is absolutely no reason not to get started when you have the right teams and system in place. David and Stu, the owners of Storehouse 310, have been investing themselves for over 15 years. They are on a mission to help as many active duty, reserves, and military veterans create financial freedom through the power of real estate investing. They are honest, transparent, and they prioritize service and giving. They have even committed to give the first 10% of their profits to partner nonprofit organizations that support veteran causes. For more information about their program, send an email to podcast at storehouse310turnkey.com. Again, that is podcast at storehouse310turnkey.com. Tell David and Stu you heard about them through the Military Millionaire Podcast, and they will get you going down the right path. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Dave from Military to Millionaire, and I got my co-host Alex Felice on today, who is uh, working out of a uncle's house or aunt's house or niece's house or something, which is why his backdrop looks a little different. And we are joined by my friend, Travis Hill, who is a active duty Marine, who I actually met uh, at a beach on the north side of Camp Pendleton when I wasn't surfing because I was broken and he wasn't surfing because he was watching his kids surf. And he is a, he's an engineer equipment officer in the Marine Corps. And uh, we hit it off talking about real estate. And uh, I, I don't know, we've been in touch ever since. I've gotten to park my car in front of his house a few times to save the $30 a night for parking at airports. So it's, uh, it's, it's blossomed into a great friendship because it's probably <laughs> saved me more money than uh, most people have. <laughs> Travis, welcome on the show, buddy. Good morning. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Happy to be here. Yeah, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourself, uh, starting from the first time you got into real estate, because you, you, you have a very unique story that I think might be able to help some people out, especially right now. Okay. Uh, graduated college in early 2000, went to work for a steel fabrication company in San Jose, California, Cupertino, actually. And... Uh, that little micro blip of recession that kind of happened in the early 2000s moved me to uh, Las Vegas. And in Las Vegas, I started dabbing in real estate. My wife, then fiance, was a loan officer and kind of got interested into real estate and, and saw the value of it. So in early 2000s, I would go into a uh, 
like a phase one, I'd buy the second biggest house closest to the cul-de-sac that I could, and I'd live in it. And then live in it for phase five or phase six, phase seven release, and I would refinance that house and rent that house and repeat that process. And was able to do that for, till I got like five houses and thought that my life would be set. I was like 25 at the time. Everything was fantastic. I thought it was great. And I'm like, all right, this is my retirement plan. I'm gonna have these houses, it's gonna pay down. I'm gonna do all that. And then I decided to join the Marine Corps after 9-11. And uh, in 2003, joined the Marine Corps and still had the homes. It was still trying to like make it all work. It was doing all the necessary due diligence and um, you know, saving your money, saving for the CapEx, putting it all, doing, doing, hitting the checklist the way you, I thought you were supposed to do it, right? what I, my education of reading and gaining. And then 2008 hit. And at that time I was living in North Carolina. Uh, I was coming back from my second deployment from Iraq and all of my savings and everything that I had put toward those five homes was going away. So going, working in Vegas with an engineering firm to making six digits a year there to join the Marine Corps to making 19,000 a year as a PFC E2, E3, that money recoup and your ability to make that money work just wasn't there anymore. So we ended up having to short sell all of those homes. And uh, basically here I am, you know, 30, 31 years old, starting off completely like at zero and um, rebuilding credit and everything that came with short selling those homes and getting the, the uh, what, 1099s and all that stuff that came with it. So it was a, as a beautiful process. And I tell people to use the analogy that like I was so focused on my trees and like staring at the bark and watching the ants climb through the bark that I didn't see the forest fire, like consuming the entire thing. So um, that was my lesson learned. Of how many, how many houses were you buying up to say, how many houses were you buying in 06, 07? Oh, none. Like oh, I was okay. on the East coast, like didn't have, I think the last house that I closed on was probably like, Oh, Oh four Oh five, probably around there. Wow. Wow. That's, uh, it's interesting just because I know that the run up just like, uh, currently the run up in the last 18 months was worse. Right. If you bought an 05, it was worse or 06, it was probably worse than if you had bought an 03. Yeah. And it wasn't that like we had money, but you know, as I learned that as and we were self-managing all those homes. So, you know, my wife was there, like she was handling it. We were doing it old school, like getting the checks and they were writing the checks. We were picking it up and, you know, they took care of all the utilities and we just paid our requirement as owners. But we learned that the, as home prices dropped, the rental prices dropped and it just kept going. And then, we over leveraged, I would say over leveraged, but we just got to the point through being in Vegas and getting hit so hard that our rental wasn't covering our mortgage. And so we just started pumping money in every month. So at one time we were pumping about $4,000 a month into the homes to try to keep them going. As they're still going down. As they're still going down. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Well, my condolences to you, my friend. Thanks. Um, but that Vegas was, Vegas was hit worse than anywhere. Vegas was, was ground zero. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's going to be the case this month. I believe that's going to be the case in this, in this, in this current event as well. Yeah. Although, although it's much different, it's much, much different now. Yeah. yeah I just, 
kind of hard, I think, for Vegas to stay open when casinos aren't allowed to be open and people aren't allowed to visit. It seems like a large portion of the economy, but I don't, I've never lived there, so I don't know. Oh, it's a large portion of the economy. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I still think this time will be, a, uh, the me- mechanisms are a little bit different. But Travis, you, you're buying houses now, right? I, I am. And uh, about your comment about Vegas and, and casinos, is it when they pay all the state tax, uh, yeah, oh, it's, a big, it's a big deal. <laughs> Sisolak closed uh, mandatory 445 casinos. And like, you know, uh, I live near, near a military base, Fort Bragg, and it's a service-based economy, but it's not to the degree of Las Vegas. Like without the casinos, there really is no reason. Um, it, it, it's way more service-based um, than it is any, maybe anywhere else um uh tourist based so yeah i I do feel for my vegas friends yeah Yeah. it's insane and what's funny is is that when you tell people you're from vegas like you're from vegas they say oh what part of the strip do you live on and like people's misconceptions that there's actually a community and a life outside of the vegas strip is almost kind of foreign to them to like put that into the you know the induction happens really fast yeah i lived in um centennial hills 35 minutes northwest of the strip. And, you know, I went to the strip sometimes, but for the most part, my entire life had nothing to do with Las Vegas Boulevard. Yeah. And, and I, I lived in Southern Highlands. So everything was like Green Valley Ranch, Henderson. And so like, oh yeah, there's a strip and you can see it. But, you know, it was like, uh, oh, let's go to the, let's go play poker or drive by the strip just to people watch to enjoy a night or go enjoy the Bellagio watership ball just to, you know, hang out and kill an hour or two. But yeah, other than that, it was or taking family in when they come visit, right? Like, oh, I want to go to the strip. Okay, we'll take you to the places we know. Yeah, that's pretty much it. People who live in Las Vegas, it's like, uh, if you work on the strip, then you probably hang out on the strip. But if you don't work on the strip, you're like, I'm not going to that traffic. Yes. I know it's not worth it. Unless I got family in town, now nah, I'm a pass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Your, your one time to, to, to experience the New Year's Eve in downtown Vegas is, that's enough for the rest of your life, I think. <laughs> it sounds, sounds strangely like Waikiki when I was stationed on Oahu, I mean, it's very tourist trappy in it. So about a 40 minute drive to get there, but it, without traffic, like if I drove there in the morning for like a triathlon or whatever, it was like a 25 minute drive, but it was about 45 to get to the actual strip just because of traffic usually. And same thing, they had like Friday night fireworks and I saw them twice. And the second time was basically because my parents made me. So yeah, it's just like, but they're, and they're same thing right now. Same, same economic, economic, injury Waikiki's hurting right now hmm. tons of people out of jobs what are you buying now Travis I just closed on a turnkey property with storehouse 310 and uh, oh, couldn't be happier could not nice. be happier um that's so, in Michigan uh, right that is in Wisconsin Wisconsin M I W I yeah same same we're good same same but diff so tell me about um, the, you know, that th- there's gotta be an internal, uh, journey to go from that pain to, yeah, not, I, not only did I get over it, but I'm, you know, it's like a relationship. I'm ready to go get out, go out there and get hurt again kind of thing. So how oh, do you, yeah, totally. I, I think that, that it was, uh, you know, I, it was one of the most physical, um, displays of what failure can do for your life. Not, and I wouldn't say like, oh, well, you didn't fail. You just had bad mark. Like it was the market. Like, no, like I didn't take, I'll do a little Jocko here is that I didn't take enough ownership and to figure out my world enough to be able to see that or at least forecast it or to prepare the assets so that I could keep one or two or, you know, do something. So um, it, 
it was a beautiful lesson and it, it made me uh, more resilient in the long run. So that's why I'm doing it again, because it isn't like, no, I, we can do this. I can do this. My family can benefit from it. And it's, it's just creating, you know, now the knowledge that's available now through bigger pockets, through from military millionaire, from being, being fortunate to be in real estate masterminds and like that stuff. I didn't know anything about that when I was investing in Vegas during that time. So taking what's available now, it's so much, I wouldn't say easier, but it's so much more accommodating. Yeah. Now you think, you think more information though can get people in, you think it make them too overconfident? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's so easy to go down rabbit holes and you know, like on my Instagram, you know, I'm getting like, I was looking, I just listened to a podcast today um, from the connected investor. And so now like I've been getting spam from them from the last week and you know, so you, there's so much information out there that you can go down rabbit holes and just like, Oh, I'm too inundated. Then it, it's suffocating. And then you don't move anyways. Nassim Taleb to bankrupt the fool, give him information. I'm so glad that that was the podcast you mentioned because my goodness, they spam. They spam a lot. <laughs> I was on his email list for like a week and I was like, Oh no, 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 no. Unsubscribe. And then one time, like a few months later, I got back into it somehow. And I was like, no, I did it again. <laughs> Good information. But it's just like, I can't read all this stuff. Yeah. I don't have time for that. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, okay, Alex, I'm going to ask you to expound on that. What is, what is Nassim's reason behind that? Because that's an interesting Well, quote. just like you said, right? Uh, just like uh, Travis said. So we have more information now than ever. Um, well, we can use an example for real, real estate. Like you can go down rabbit holes or, you know, because there's so much information, you can design narratives that sound good that aren't, you know, the, the idea is that there's a difference between information and wisdom. There's a difference between information and knowledge. And so uh, I kind of wanted to get back to what uh, Travis was saying earlier about um, he didn't look at the, it's kind of like what Travis said earlier, like it, he didn't look at the forest for the trees kind of thing. Um, so like information is, uh, the big one is you can go and look at a house in the middle of nowhere of USA and say, Oh, well the, the rental numbers work great. Right. You have all this information. You have the house price, you have rentometer, you have all these, these numbers or these supposed pieces of information, but then you get to the house and you buy it and then you realize no property manager will go there because gangland, you know? And so you had information and it made you make a worse decision because you didn't have wisdom or knowledge. So that's the idea. Um, cool. but, but, but while we're on that, uh, how, is your, how, how have you adapted your previous strategy, which we didn't really get into? Um, I assume it was, well, you're 25, so I know what your strategy was. It was nothing. It was nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, every 25-year-old who listens to the show should be wary. The, the, their biggest enemy is themselves, their own confidence. True statement. I bought my first property when I was 25, so... Yeah, we know how good you are at real estate, though. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I bought my first property when I was at twenty-seven, and it was my worst deal. Um, but how does your strategy change now? Like, what do you think? What do you buy now? And can you give me any lessons that you think? Okay, I won't make the two thousand three mistake. I won't make that mistake again. Uh, the biggest thing that that my strategy now is to, you know, still focused on that tree, but I'm also detaching myself from those trees and then looking at the forest. Like I'm looking at like, okay, what is the economy doing? Like, can I, and I don't want to over leverage. I think that, you know, I was having a good conversation with my brother 
about this because he's all he works for Microsoft and so he does all of his stuff through index funds and dividends and like you know very very fire uh, mentality. I think fire is awesome. Um, so he talks about oh well you know you should you shouldn't be over leveraged and I'm like well with real estate um, I'm not gonna at, at, as the in the in the growth phase of real estate right as you start the whole like pyramid of of stacking real estate. You're not, there's no like, oh, well, I sold, I bought three homes this year. Well, I got to sell one because I'm over leveraged in my portfolio. Like that thinking doesn't really work. So I think that my strategies I use nowadays is I'm more focused on what's going on collectively across multi-markets. And it's not like I'm doing a deep dive, right? Like I'm not spending an hour every day, like looking at the market or looking at bonds and looking at real estate. No, I'm, I'm kind of keeping a broader view so that I understand like, oh, hey, there is more talk about interest rates going up because they're, you know, for example, I think that the stimulus check that all the stuff's going on that some people have gotten and now small businesses can't get, there's going to be a president and there's going to be some people who are going to have to pay for that through probably a rise in taxes. And, you know, you look at the eighties where they were doing 15% on the interest rate. There's a possibility. I mean, this is my, this is opinion of Travis Hill, like narrative of Travis Hill that, well, if you're getting 3% now, there's probably a good chance they're going to go to eight, nine, 10% to help offset those, that money coming in. So, who knows? Uh, no, I like that because uh, I, I've been saying for a long time and people hate it, especially on Figurebox, they hate when they say this. I say the, the, the greater economy that you're part of, and I mean this by uh, both you know, the neighborhood, the city, and the larger, the larger economy, all three of those matter more than any single deal you do in and of itself. So to your point, it's like you can buy a great deal, but if it's in an area that's going downhill or you know, hey, look, you know, the economy is, is, is tanking. Uh, you're going to pay for that no matter how good the deal is and vice versa. You can buy, a, you can buy an average deal in LA and my guess is it's going to go up in value because LA is going up in value. And so I love that you say that like the, the larger, and this applies to all real estate, the larger macroeconomic uh, movements matter more than the individual deals. And this is not to say you, that you should not strive to get killer deals but it is to say, if you only focus on the deal itself and you don't focus on what Travis is saying, which is the forest, you're missing a big piece of the, of your, of the puzzle of your success. Yeah. Well, it's just like people buying, uh, you know, in a market that did well over the last decade because it did well over the last decade. And like the whole past performance doesn't indicate future success. So, you know, like the, in my town, for example, in my market, there's a, there's like a divide right in the middle of the city and most investors are like, yeah, we don't go north of that divide. Well, that's all well and good, but north of that divide is gentrifying, right? Like there's a lot of progress. There's opportunity zones. There's a lot of really cool stuff going on north of that, but there's a lot of people who are just like, and it's like a distinct, like, you know, 0.8% rule, 1.2% rule, like distinct differences, like the moment you cross that divide, but yet, the best deal that I've bought was the one that was just north of that because the price was so much lower and it cash flows just fine because people are moving, you know, whatever. So I think uh, it's smart that you're keeping your, your eye on what's going on more than the specific deal because a house is a house is a house is a house, right? Like that, that matters less, you know, what color you paint the walls matters less than what the neighborhood looks like or what the, what the city block is doing or what's getting built in that zip code or, you know, as you expand out. Well, and it's, and it's so important that you understand your metrics, right? And because there's so much information, it's easy to get lost again in what, what you really identify as your metric, you know? So I'm originally from Arizona 
Well, Arizona got hit really hard in 2008. And I go back there to visit when I'm on leave and I see all these apartment homes. I'm like, oh my gosh, right? That's crazy. And then going back, Alex, to what you talked about with the community and the town and that stuff. Well, we have the huge baby boomers coming. That's gonna flip, that's gonna put a lot of houses in the market in the next 10, 15 years, right? We also have a lot of millennials that don't like what the baby boomers have, which is the ranch house on the quarter acre. So what are you seeing? You're seeing a lot more cohabitation, more apartments, more condos, more like like for example, there's like my dad's house is on like the middle of Mesa, right? Downtown middle of Mesa, the house is built in 1979. Two blocks away from his house are apartment complexes with a garage, 1700 bucks a month rent. And they're selling like hotcakes. Like they can't, that's going faster than a single family home in with a yard and rock front yard. Like no problem. So yeah, it's, I, it's, it is in Arizona being the 50, like, and then you go 10 miles down the road and then you have an entire like 500 acre, 55 plus community, you know? So it's so important that you understand like, oh, hey, are single family homes being driven down because the, the millennials want to cohabitate in group complex settings? So that's going to determine like, well, is my rent going to be more official, more efficient in 10 to 10 years, 12 years, because that single family isn't really doing anything. Yeah, paying attention to these larger demographic shifts, this kind of stuff is, again, it's like, it's not to say you shouldn't worry about the deal itself, as, but um, I know when I was uh, newer in real estate, I would worry more about the deal than um, what city are you buying in and what's going to happen to it over the next 15 years. Um, and that's, I, to be fair, that's hard for 25-year-olds because you just, most of them just don't think, myself included, I wasn't thinking at 25, I wasn't thinking anything. I was just doing a bunch of stuff, but uh, it, you know, you don't, you just don't have the time frame reference to realize, ah, uh, you know, this is this is a thirty year game. Most people get mortgages for thirty years, so you you got to really know what what's going to happen in, um, you know, uh, Arizona is a great example because the the demographic shifts sh is shifting out there, and the what you said earlier too about baby boomers retiring and the next generation doesn't want houses as much. Not to say that they're not to say that houses are going to become obsolete, but our apartments are certainly um, people are becoming more acceptable, uh, accepting of them. And so there are some of these shifts that people should, um, uh, certainly should consider in their, in their purchasing metrics. Sure. So you're a full-time Marine. I am. How, um, you have any trouble buying houses as a full-time Marine? No, no, no. I think it's, it's, it's all about how disciplined you are through your time. Okay. And yeah. you know, uh, I, Following bearded, following bearded Brandon, and following bigger pockets, and following Dave and you guys on on from military to millionaire, like it, it's all this time right now is all about how disciplined you are. I think that quote somebody that's been on social media about, um, you know, if you don't come out of this with a side hustle or improving yourself, it's not that you lack time, you lack discipline, and I, I firmly believe that. You know, I, I think that it comes down to my kids don't go to school; it's all virtual. They're doing Zoom, you know, good for them, but we're still getting up at, in the morning. We're still doing a family workout. We still do uh, family time as far as like scriptures and things go. And then they have their, this is their block of time to do school. And then after they show us their agenda and we follow up with them, then they have their free time. So having that structure and that discipline, well, it's not only good for parents and us to make sure that we're doing it, but it's also teaching our kids proper things that they can use for their life lessons moving on. So 
it's you know there's nothing but goodness it's just a matter of did this if our current situation goes two and three months you know what's how many people are going to be posting on social media of like yeah still be motivated and be like eh, just eat some cheetos and hang out uh, let's not talk bad about Cheetos. Hang on. Let's not talk about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> flaming, flaming or extra, extra hot, whatever, extra fire. I don't know. Alex has a, a thing. If you ever want to get in good with them, just send we say bonbons message. then. Is that better? Yeah. Bonbons. Yeah. Nobody needs those. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like those. So you can try, you can trash talk them. I have definitely gone out of my way to avoid donuts over the last two weeks. It is uh Man, you're right about that, though. Like, sitting in the house, it is incredible. No matter how great your plan is when you wake up, it's amazing how by, like, midday you're like, okay, so now what? Uh, I'm bored. Oh, I'm hungry. No, you're bored. No, no, but I'm hungry. No, you're bored. You already ate. Oh, man. Uh, I need an excuse to get out of the house. Taco Bell. No. <laughs> like, that. this is definitely an internal battle that I have. Yeah. I can basically <laughs> no, no, see I, Taco Bell. I, I can hear myself like, over there saying the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm like, I'll be like walking out of the house and I'm like, no, nah, I got to drive out this side today. <laughs> yeah, I think oh, it's definitely, um, it's definitely a, met- it's a time where people – I'm not a fan of saying people need discipline. That's not how I think people behave. My personal opinion. I think people behave by habit. And so you can maybe say those are, there's certainly overlap. Um, but I do think people are waking up and some people's habits or some people have poor habits. And so they wake up and without the structure of society that has been given to them, they don't know what to do with themselves and they end up just creating lousy habits. And so, uh, I think there are certainly people like such as yourselves who wake up and say, look, I got to create a structure and then I will, it'll become a habit and then I can get things done. And so uh, it is an interesting time because maybe it only lasts a few weeks. People waste a few weeks. It's not really a big deal, but um, God forbid it lasts any longer. And the people who are slow to adapt, you know, yeah, you're going to come out of this thing and you're not going to have uh, anything to show for yourself. And like I said, God forbid it's six weeks. Or longer, goodness gracious, I can't take it. Um, and so I think the we're people at, who are fast to right adapt now. are gonna. What's that? So we're at four right now in San Diego, almost yeah. five. Yeah, I I don't know. I'm staying busier than ever, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, so Travis, what's the? Uh, tell me about the deal. Uh, the the turnkey. Um, Mets due through David, and um, that's Stu Grazier. Stu Grazier. Grazier, if you want to go official Francais, I think, right? <laughs> I, don't, I couldn't tell you. I I just, I don't, he just, he's just stew. He's just, yeah, he's just stew. And uh, got on his list and, you know, a, a pro- he, he, my name came on the list with a property. I didn't like the property. I didn't like the location. I didn't, wasn't favorable with it. And I just let him know, hey, I, I appreciate that I'm on the list and this is my house, but these are the reasons I don't want to take the house. And he was like, oh, okay, no problem. And then here's the next house. And they, I will take that house. That's great. And his entire mm-hmm. team have been fantastic. Um, their real nice. estate agent, Robin, she's awesome. And uh, the whole process was easy. His team is awesome. They set it up well. And then as far as numbers, uh, man, the numbers were conservative. And we're way like, we're cash flowing $200 more than what the original prospectus was. Nice. Um, you can do more. Oh yeah. Like I told them the day that we, when I sent back the email saying, yes, we'll take the house and keep me on the list. Cause it's, it's such an easy, it really is. It, and it was a really good, um, confidence booster 
starting the journey again. Yeah. And then it sounds like before you were kind of doing it alone. Uh, maybe I don't mean to dis, disinclude your wife, but I mean, you guys were alone. Right. Um, whereas now it probably, it feels much better. And I think this is what bigger pockets has really taught people. And this is certainly what I pitch and what I believe in is, um, well, it's kind of the old saying, it takes a village, right? It, 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 it really takes a team. And so even though you're not there, um, you feel, I, my guess is you feel more confident because you're like, look, I got three, four people that know what they're talking about. I trust them. I believe in them. And they're all telling me kind of the same thing that this is, and, and you got a really good support system. Yes, totally true. Well, totally true. And my take on turnkey and, and mind you, I haven't, I haven't bought any, anything through a turnkey provider yet. I, you know, maybe I will one day. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash militarymillionaire. Now, why Audible? Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers. I listen to Audible every single day on my commute to and from work. Now, to download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash militarymillionaire. People say that turnkey is, you know, quote, bad because it's less of a return than you might get on your own or whatever but the reality is like if that quote less of a return is like i don't know 50 bucks a month or whatever like it's not anything obscene right because if the deal didn't make sense they wouldn't make any money but the ability to make a deal with somebody that you know and trust who's gone through and renovated the property and has a team and everything is essentially no different than if you were to build your own team in a market across the country and do it all through them. It's just one person whose business it is to provide that service for you. So like I tell people all the time, if you're overseas and you're looking to get started in investing, like turnkey is probably the best way for you to go. Cause you can't house hack in Japan and you can't, you know, well, I, mean, I mean, maybe, but probably not. I don't know if there's some crazy loophole where you can buy out of town, but uh, you're, if you're looking to get started in the U S and you don't have a team and you don't have anything else and you don't want to wait three years until you move back to the U S the turnkey is probably one of the best options out there because it's set up by someone whose entire business is designed to ensure that you succeed. Because if you buy a house, you don't like it, you're not going to come buy another house. So it's, you know, and I think, you know, you talk Stu, like I would do business with Stu all day because I know him and trust him. So I think that's really the biggest piece is finding the turnkey provider or somebody to work with, whether it's turnkey or not on your team that you trust. And then you can go from there. And I think that's really important because meeting Stu, like meeting you, meeting Alex, meeting Stu, going forward on that one, you establish relationship, right? And everything that you read and listen to that is relationship, right? Then you learn that, oh, I didn't know about a turnkey when I was in my 20s. Well, I learned about a turnkey now. Oh, what does that mean? What is a turnkey? And then, so that opens your mind, right? That opens, like, oh, wait, this is my market over here. So how am I building my relationships and my contacts and everything else so that I could possibly have a turnkey in this market where they're doing this in Wisconsin? And so it is able to, doing this turnkey was able to me like, okay, this is the process they do. I can probably duplicate this process. They're building relationships. I can trust him to grow that relationship with me and him and other people. And at the same time, you're, it's all free education, every bit of it. And so yeah, I think that's, you're springboarding off of their previous work a little bit. And yeah. so it's like, yeah, I mean, and to be fair to David, like I'm, I'm usually one to push back on turnkey a little bit. Um, but I do recognize that there's a absolute need for it and that not everybody's, 
um, well, not their skill sets nor their desires are the same. And so for a guy like Travis who says, hey, look, you know, maybe, maybe, I, should, maybe I should use a team for this next one to make sure that I know what I'm doing. But, you know, my guess is after two, three of these, maybe you go off on your own. And so the idea is, hey, look, I'll pay, like David said, I'll pay, I'll get a little bit less return, but I'll mitigate a ton of risk by having contractors that I know are going to show up. And I have, a, I have somebody else on the team that, on, the, on the ground that knows the deals. And so, yeah, I, you sacrifice a little bit of the return for uh, the trade of volatility. Because, look, anybody who's dealt, look, David can tell you, hiring bad contractors is the kiss of death. Yes, that sucks. <laughs> uh, I mean, and it depends on if you want a negative 50% ROI. That's, uh, and so, and it so worked out great, great if that's what you're going for. And that's a great example why turnkey works because it's, uh, it's, you know, I, I didn't do turnkey, but I was on the ground and I had a team that I lucked into, right? And so I didn't have the same risk. So if you're, if you're overseas, God, if you're really overseas, then yeah, turnkey is, is the way. Or if you're like, look, I'll, some people's positions are different. They're like, hey, I'm sitting in a bunch of cash and I want to do this and I don't need to take the risk um, to learn it all on my own and manage contractors. Some people don't like managing people. And so uh, you couldn't have picked somebody. Well, I don't know everybody, so maybe there's better than maybe there's somebody better than Stu. But as far as the people I know, uh, Stu is at the tippity top of the list. He's good people. So, and like you said, you're making money. Jeez, it, yeah. it's, it's hard to beat. All right. Yeah. So I want to shift gears a little bit. I don't know if we want to dig too much into your more recent uh, opportunity to give up on yourself and i say that like it's i'll get it i'll lead into what i mean by that a lot of times when people people get punched in the face really hard in life they quit right like it's a total out like it would not have been hard for you to say well i lost five properties i'm never doing real estate investing again you've had another event here in the recent few years which i'll leave up to you if you want to discuss that but i'm curious kind of what your process is in your head as far as how you've worked through some of these things and what it is that makes you not allow that to be an out, right? So as I said, a lot of people will just tap out or like they try something, they fail and that's it. And you've had not one, but, but two fairly large issues come up that would stop a lot of people in their tracks. And obviously it hasn't, uh, that's not in your nature, but I'm curious if there's anything you can point to that's helped you out with dealing with those situations that are not easy. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so my, uh, to allude to your point, David, yeah, I was diagnosed with stage three colon cancer in January of 2019. And uh, I was stationed in Okinawa, families there, and we were thriving, thriving, capital letters, exclamation points, and happy face emojis thriving. <laughs> and uh, we were back in the States in February. And then I spent the entire time recovering from that surgery, colostomy bag, like the whole thing that goes with colon cancer. And, uh, you know, I, I would say, I, I wish I could say that it was easy as like, well, I'm a Marine, so that's just what I did. And for the, for all of our Marine counterparts, like you understand what that means. And for our sister services, like, I realized when I was, when I was diagnosed that I had a choice, like right then, when we're sitting in the doctor's office, I had a choice right then to either succumb to this, and, and maybe that meant death, maybe that just meant like, well, my my life my sucks now, like I got this, whatever, or I can choose the, the critical path, right? Like I can take that 
and do something with it and do some good with it. Um, because I had, I had one, I had an obligation as, as a husband, as a father to set an example, like, Hey, like this is pretty much one of the worst things you can happen in your life. So I can either show my kids and be supportive to them and to my wife to be the best cancer patient that I can. And then also as a Marine officer, I feel that I have an obligation to set the example because I knew that I was going to be surrounded by young Marines that were going through similar or different things, but are still going to be at the same hospital I am for some duration, right? So weave those two things together and then throw in my faith tradition of like, you know, there's, there's greater, like I was, like I probably accepted this in the yonder heavens before coming to earth. Like, hey, you're probably gonna have this problem. Okay, that's cool. I can handle it. Let's let's do this. And then you know, send me on this torch, and I'm gonna head down. So I uh, spent the last all of 2019 at Wounded Warrior Battalion down in Balboa, going through chemo, going through radiation, going through surgeries, just going through all of that stuff. And it really comes down to what dog you choose to, to feed every day. Um, you know, I. I, I just made the determination that was my critical path. My my critical path and my mission accomplishment is to beat cancer. Okay, Roger that. And through military training, whatever whatever acronym that you want to call it's gonna happen, you just are able to separate. And you know, it's almost like Moses dividing the waters, like all emotion pushed to the side. There's my enemy. I must go and, and attack the enemy and overcome it. And that just that permeated my life. Um, I, whenever I was well enough, you know, I, that there was times, I'm not going to lie. There was times that I'm like, I just want to lay in bed. Yep. You are going to lay, you want to lay in bed. Hill. Yes, you do. But you're going to get your freaking sorry butt up and you're going to walk down the stairs and you're going to hug your kids. And you're going to kiss your wife and you're going to try to eat two, two spoonfuls of something that your wife prepared. And if that means that all you do is walk back upstairs and lay down because you're just, you know, doing what cancer does, okay, but you got your butt out of bed, you know, and sometimes that was, fortunately, I was able to count on one hand the number of times I did that, but the fact is that I knew that I had to do that, because there's too many times that you don't do that, and the next day you don't do that, and all of a sudden, it's three months later, and you haven't done that, mm. and it was just creating that mindset, and creating the ability to know, like, no, I'm, I can do this, I have the ability to, and the prayers and support of family and friends and then the people you don't even know. Right. And then the opportunity to kind of document that through social media and hindsight being what it is, you know, today, Travis Hill today and having the fortunate humility to have people like, yeah, man, we watched your journey. And when I thought I was having a bad day, like you post something and I would realize like, no, I, I think I got to handle it. And so just the a number of people that I was able to support that I didn't even think, you know, like when you're going through it and you're supposed to like, hey, having a colostomy bag and having to like deal with that and all the fun that is with that for this short amount of time. Yeah, that's pretty interesting, you know, and trying to like one thing that I did with my colostomy bag is I named it. Or actually, I named my stoma. His name was Eugene. And my kids would be like we. My wife and I joked that we were we were no longer in a monogamous relationship because it was me, Eugene, and her. Like that was kind of important, you know. And so we realized that he was a silent partner in most of our our uh, <laughs> our bedroom antics, but uh, nonetheless, he was there. And that was um, threesome. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes he didn't. He when he did make noises or make sounds, it wasn't any related to 
actually what we were doing. <laughs> if, if you're listening to this and you had any doubt that Travis is a Marine, this should clear it up. Yeah. <laughs> Who else would yeah, name, <laughs> name their glossy your, bag and call your story it? And your, your story and your attitude is commendable to say the absolute least. So. And, I, and I would like to vouch that I've, I mean, I didn't meet you until at least halfway through that journey, but I would never have known that you were even remotely going through chemo because Travis was still running circles around people with how active he was. Yeah. So. And let me say most, I don't know about most importantly, but certainly importantly, your hair looks fantastic, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. So that's not something I take lightly. So that's a, congratulations. I will, I will say that uh, my, my hair, it, it does have a reputation and uh, it has definitely gone before me in uh, changing duty commands, but it is uh, on the short side and it yeah. needs a little, needs a little trim, but uh, yeah, it's, I, I'm uh, thank you for that. Have you read a book called uh, Victor Frankel wrote this book called man's search for meaning? Uh, no, but I know of it. Uh, it's not one that I recommend super often because I think it's misapplied, but in your situation, I think you'd resonate really, really strongly with it based on the way you told your story. It's a, well, I don't want to spoil too much. It's about a guy who goes through the, um, the Nazi concentration camps and comes out the other side. And then he talks about what it means to be, to find, well, meaning or drive when, when there seems like there's no reason to have some. Um, yep. So I think it'd be applicable. I think it'd be an applicable story for you. Yeah, and, I, and I will thank you. I'll look that I will look into that. But I, I know that one thing that that helped me too is that I lost myself in service. Um, I love surfing. I started surfing. I was stationed here many like a, a decade ago. You know, I'm, I'm like late 30s learning how to surf and people are like, dude, you're an idiot. I'm like, I know that you've been surfing as long as I've been alive. But like where I live and it's three minutes, the beach is three minutes that way with world-class breaks, I have a requirement to uh, fulfill that, right? To learn how to surf. And so I was volunteering with, with uh, organizations like Surf and uh, Challenge Athlete Foundation. And I was volunteering to work at the, uh, um, the Balboa, the Navy Medical Center, San Diego has a weekly surf therapy where they basically like have the ocean teach you how to deal with PTS and, and uh, TBIs and other things. And so I was volunteering with them and, and volunteer with every place that I could just to realize that like, hey, like my stuff isn't bad. You know, like, oh my gosh, my feet are burning because the chemo rate medication. And, and I feel like crap because I puked three times that day and it's only seven zero seven in the morning. But um, I'm walking and that dude, I'm having a wheel out in a wheelchair because he's a triple amp or he has, you know, muscular dystrophy and he can only lay on a board. And he's never, like, these are the things that help me stay grounded and realize that, uh, hey, like, your life could be a lot worse, but it's not. So like buck up. And as I, as my dad said a long time ago, when I was a kid as cowboy up and like, you just kind of realize that. And so those, those were ways to keep me grounded, you know, and to keep me from not being like, woe is me. Because it, again, it's so easy, so easy to get in that trap. And, and it's, you know, and it's almost like you're digging that hole with a backhoe and then you're trying to fill it back into the shovel. Um, well, so, real, well, real estate seems really easy in comparison now, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah. <laughs> more math, though. More math than cancer, but yeah, it is easier than. Uh... <laughs> oh my God, I love that whole thing. And, and, and the, your last bit was complaining about math? Goodness gracious. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just said more math. There's less math than cancer, but there's more math than real estate. But yeah, it's still yeah. simple. I, 
I like that you said it comes down to what dog you choose to feed every day because there's this misconception that like you just wake up and you decide like, all right, that's it. I'm done being a bitch or, you know, I'm done dealing with this in a, or whatever. And then that's it, right? You made a decision. But the reality is like, if you think of it as two little puppies, right? You feed one or the other every day. That, that other one doesn't necessarily go, I mean, I guess maybe if you don't feed it long enough, it would go away, but we'll take the metaphor. Um, but, you know, it, it doesn't go away. So it's always there. So every day that you used to come and let yourself be the, the woe is me or whatever, that grows whether, whether you like it or not. It's still there. And so it's important to choose like every day, every situation, every moment, like, okay, I'm going this way, which is way easier said than done. Uh, but, but it's important to just key in on the fact that you said it right, that it's, it's not a one and done decision. It's a, it's a continual process. It is. And, and, that, and that carries over into everything, right? Like not only does it talk to cancer, well, if you, if you haven't got used to that, you know, um, you know, for example, and I use this as a life lesson. My dad was an alcoholic and, you know, it, it, that same logic applies to the good dog, bad dog. If they say that, that drinking is genetic, that means I must be predisposed to want to drink alcohol. Well, my faith tradition allows me to make that choice every day. So do I choose to drink alcohol or do I not? Do I choose as a Marine? Do I choose to set a good example and get a, and get a haircut and shave my face or do I not? So it's, it's not that it's, you know, it's a lifelong thing that I figured out once cancer started, right? No, that, that's totally in regs, Dave. That's fine. I've already looked at it a million times. Actually, when I looked at that when I first met I haven't, you, like, I haven't, you I, haven't, sure? I haven't left my house. I'm in regulation, I'm, but it looks I'm, ridiculous. No, I meant, I meant that I haven't shaved my face in the last day and a half because I haven't left my bedroom <laughs> yeah. or my office. Speaking yeah. of, yeah, David, you're feeding the bad dog. Get out of the house. Do some exercise. Do some I, it's on my it's on my to do list today. I filmed a whole bunch of podcasts and stuff yesterday, so I just couldn't really break away. Actually, I did get on the bike and ride for an hour, so that was great. Uh, that. that again today. Yeah, for Marines, we as long as we're in the house, we don't go anywhere. We can let that thing grow as all we want. But as soon as we step outside to like go to the market, yeah, got to be shaving. All right, so Travis. I got a few questions that I always ask. So the okay. first one is if an E1, E2 was to walk up to you asking for advice about real estate or life or whatever, what would you tell them? Mm, man. Think, would, think back to I your would, best safety brief. My best safety brief? Well, the long ones don't work. <laughs> and the ones that involve uh, inappropriate activities are always the ones most remembered, right? It's like, yeah. don't drink, but I know if you're under 21, you already do, but please don't. And you're like, thank you for empowering the young ones to drink. Awesome. Great job. Uh, if I have it, you know, as a platoon commander, as a chief warrant officer, I get, I get that. I get E1s and E3s all the time. I think that I would tell them about like, Hey, what are your goals in life? Like, where do you, where do you see yourself? You know, I, I ask them that because that helps shape my continued dialogue with them. Cause like, Oh, I'm gonna do four and out. I'm like, okay, you're going to do four and out. Well, there's some of us are going to do 30 and out, but guess what? We're all going to be out. So how are you preparing yourself to be the best person in your community that you can be you know either you're going to take the morals and ethics and values that you learned in the ring Corps, and, and they're either going to accentuate your life or you're going to trash them all and you're going to rely on yours and they may or may not be better or they may keep you the same but what are you going to do or what are your plans so that you can be one day a better community contributor can i pivot off that actually because you said something interesting um you said um, usually what I do is I take what they tell me they want to become. And then I use that for the continued narrative that I have with that person, um, going forward. 
And I think it's a very interesting um, thing and not, not your side of it, but from their side. So the E1, E2 or the young person, I think it's valuable to tell the world what you want to become because then the world will respond to that going forward. And so we talk about this all the time, you know, put your or affirmations or you write your goals down. And these are the kind of same things. And social media is really good about this, about, you know, being able to tell the world what you want to become because there's guys like Travis, there's guys like David, sometimes there's guys like me that will listen to what you want to become and say, either maybe I can help, or maybe now I'm going to perk up and watch you because I believe in you, or you just don't know what they may or may not interact with you, but they, they hear it. And, um, and many of them will interact with you. So I just wanted to piggyback off that and say, I think it is valuable that you ask the question that way, like ask people what they want to become. Um, and when they tell you that's the best way to make it manifest. Yes. Sorry. All right. Question number two, do you have a, uh, what's the one resource, whether that's a book course website or whatever that you would recommend to anybody who's looking to get started in real estate? Oh, uh, I'm, I'm on it. <laughs> oh, flattered. I'm on it. I'm on it. You're on Alex Felice's podcast. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm on, I'm on for military millionaire. Um, you know that I like for military millionaire. I like the fact that we are all like-minded service members that want to achieve more than what we know is going to happen. Right. What we all know we're going to retire, but what can we do more? How can I be more effective in my life and for military millionaire? is a fantastic opportunity and a, a wonderful resource to do that from. And then, and then you're gonna, like that's gonna start it, right? And then if, and there's nothing wrong with saying like, hey, I like military millionaire got me here and now I'm over here with some other group. I don't think that's wrong. I mean, because you're gonna find in the social media world or the, your education, that the ebb and flow of, of people and relationships and all that stuff is all gonna work. And as, as you get involved with real estate, you're gonna find agents that you work with your agency don't contractors pms like all of that stuff and it's just a matter of you filling out what's comfortable for you and then finding those education and those mentors and those mastermind groups that are going to be able to facilitate that success for you i love that i will i will send your shout out twenty dollars to you later for the plug yeah uh, <laughs> appreciate the sick fancy <laughs> That's that's awesome. I appreciate that very much. Uh, all I right. will say, uh, and to further answer that question, I say that Bigger Pockets has done a fabulous job of globally bringing every single type of real estate entity into it because that that's where um, I, I think Bigger Pockets turned me on to a lot of like, oh wow, this is out there. Oh, and so it really broadened, you know, it, it made my uh, my left and right lateral limits pretty huge. Big fan of Bigger Pockets. Yeah, I can tell. Yes, 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 yes. All um, right. And, oh, good. No, yeah. After no, no, you, good. no, no. I was just gonna ask where people can get a hold of you. I can get a hold of me, um, like like every good marine, right? And and operational security opsec. Uh, my Facebook is pretty limited, so you gotta search kind of hard for me. But uh, I think I'm on TGH thirteen ten on Instagram, and uh, I think that's probably the easiest way. <laughs> This is the first time that somebody's given a government address to find them, I believe. I believe. He, said, he said on Instagram. I don't know how government that is. What was is. the first one? What was the first one? Oh, oh on Facebook. <laughs> oh, I think he said, oh, I think he said something about, um, never mind. He was, he was well, just saying, unlike the army, we use OPSEC. 
and so we we try to make ourselves harder to find yeah which, which i, I am which i am is. not a shining example of since <laughs> i'm very easy to find but i don't know all right, Alex, you were going to say something before I rudely cut you off with the next question that is always sequentially asked. I forgot what it was. Um, I'm sure it was brilliant, though. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> if only we knew. All right. Well, hey, Travis, this has been fun. Thanks, guys. It has been. I've enjoyed it. Thanks for. Yeah, thank uh, you very much. Yeah, thanks for joining us today. And now that you live closer, uh, once we're allowed to leave our houses, uh, I look forward to hanging out again. Heck yeah, man. Like I told you earlier, you got to come over for a Sunday family dinner once, uh, you know, we do get released. I, Travis, are you, are you going to attend um, Veterans REI Live? I am. I haven't bought my ticket yet, but I, I'm getting clearance from the Mamadon to uh, allocate funds. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent. I get to hear Alex speak about whatever Alex feels like speaking about. I'm actually going to use my stimulus check. You know that my wife and I got a stimulus check each? Really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, both, you guys both pay taxes, right? No, she doesn't. She's a homemaker. She stays at home and raises the chitlins. Does she file? No. She file in 2018? No. <laughs> Just take that money and Government. stash it. Government yeah. at work. Yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Oh, nice. Nothing else. Must be nice. I haven't gotten my stimulus or my actual return that they've owed me for like a month now. But yeah. So yeah, I have. I'll take that, and I will. I will buy my ticket with my uh, with my little stimulus check or yeah, recovery nice. check. I like it. So yeah, right on. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. Thanks, gents. Thank you for listening to another episode about my journey from military to millionaire. If you liked it, be sure to visit from slash podcast to subscribe to future podcasts. While you're there, we'd love for you to rate the show, give us a review on iTunes, now get out there and take action.